Freedom Hut. The battle for Portland wages on 14 are shot at a funeral in Chicago. The Pelosi virus is spreading. The Missouri Attorney General is going to tell us why all charges should be dropped against the McCloskeys. And Rutgers wants to promote incorrect grammar in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everyone, to the Buck Sexton Show. My, oh, my, the stuff that is going on in Portland is nuts. Crazy, isn't it? If you haven't seen some of the videos, they're circulating all over the place. Uh, they, they are, of course, trying to tell us that what you're seeing is democracy in action (laughs) these are mostly peaceful protests they're mostly peaceful i mean they have set up in phalanx formation in the videos that you can see uh operating with the rehearsed tactics and cohesive maneuver of a domestic terrorist paramilitary group and they're trying to destroy federal courthouses And the only thing the media focuses on right now, this is a fascinating example of the propaganda at work here. The only thing the media wants to talk about is the police response. So you have the Democrats undermining our society. These are all Democrats doing this. And and I want to be almost uh, too insistent on this point. Yeah, I know. Oh, they're anarchists. Oh, they're no, no, no. First and foremost, these are Democrats. These are the shock troops, the stormtroopers. This is part of the Democrat blitzkrieg of 2020. That's what is happening right now. The mobilization of all these different movements on the street, the uh, rhetoric that has taken hold, not just for community organizers and rabble rousers of all kinds, but in the corporate boardroom now, the most powerful corporations in the country. Uh, This is the organized institutional establishment left embracing a radicalism that we've known is there and has been growing for a long time. Now it's running the show. And, and if you're wondering just to, to what degree, Joe Biden, who is supposed to be the moderate, longstanding, solid as a rock, the rock of Gibraltar of the Democrat Party. He's been a Joe's been in the game for 40 years. He'll bring us back together. Joe worked for Obama as his VP for eight years. He'll bring. It's all a sham. It's all a facade. It's meant to fool you. Biden is just the puppet. They're putting him forward. He is the empty vessel, empty up top in the brain, empty when it comes to courage and virtue and leadership. He is the empty vessel through which the far left will dictate policy in this country. While we're seeing just... Stunning stuff. I mean, the most aggressive, violent, uh, Antifa style protesting since I I can't even think maybe the WTO mayhem in in Seattle, which was almost now, I think, decades ago. Uh, we, We are seeing stuff that we have not had to see for a long time. And you would think that any president or any presidential candidate, I should say, looking at this would understand you can't allow this. 
You can't allow people for reasons that are really not even disclosed, right? Some of it's Black Lives Matter. Some of it's and the incarceral or the, the carceral state, uh, you know, all these phrases and slogans that show up at these protests. And if, if you want to know how stupid and how feckless and reckless is the Democrat left now, they will they will have not not just the the people on the streets who want to destroy everything. They'll have some of their favorite members of Congress write stuff like this. This is Ayanna Presley, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. She tweeted out uh, earlier today, cancel rent, cancel mortgage, cancel student debt. And to this, I want to say cancel credit card debt. Right. Cancel, cancel all of my I don't want to pay anybody anything. I just want more for me, me, me. I don't want to have to go through with my obligations. I don't want to have to honor contracts. Right. That's that's the mentality of the left. That's what the Democrats are letting you know. This is childishness. This is the, this is the outcry of a mob of mad babies. Well, we want this or we'll destroy things and we'll scream and we'll cry. This isn't using the political system. This is using the threat of force. This is coercion. This is destruction. This is vandalism. This is criminality. And yet, what does Biden? Oh, that's right. He's such a trustworthy, a seasoned elder statesman. He's definitely elder. And look, I know there are 78-year-olds who could kick my butt and run 10 miles tomorrow, you know, before breakfast. I get that. Biden's not one of them. That's the point. Okay? Biden's not there. You know, we've all seen it. We know there's deterioration. Signing up to be president. You, that, that They would put somebody forward that it's, it's truly crazy to think that this guy has eight more, not just decent years of health, eight more years of, of a ferocious energy and focus necessary to be president. President, you know, say what you will about Obama. And there's a lot that I've said and a lot that I don't like. Obama, you know, Obama had the focus. Obama had the health and the energy to drag this country closer to socialism than it's ever been. You know, that, that was not a concern. With Joe Biden, it's a concern. And more than a concern, it's obvious. But while this is happening, and Portland now has become, this is all about the theater, right? And terrorism, and they're acting like domestic terrorists, less than lethal terrorists. They'll hurt cops, they'll hit them with plywood with nails in it, they'll throw rocks at them, but they, they know that if they start killing people, it'll cause too much of a backlash, then finally the good guys will be willing to use the overwhelming force necessary to defeat the bad guys. We're just, we're not there yet. There is no political will in these cities. The people that are calling the shots for law enforcement officers at the local and state level in Oregon, in Washington, are unwilling to give them the leeway necessary to shut this stuff down. But these These domestic terrorists are doing this for the theatrics. They do this uh, for the gram, so to speak, the Instagram. They're doing this because they want everyone across the country and around the world to focus on their banners and their movement. And it creates this energy, right, this infectious energy of political stupidity. But it's out there. It's all over the place. People say, yeah, that's right. This is this is a uh, really a funnel for anti-Trump outrage. This is a funnel of Trump derangement syndrome that they're creating with all of this. And I'm seeing now on social media, people will do things like 
share a video of, of, you know, really nasty police violence. And and, uh, this was a blue check. I can't remember who did it. But it was nasty police violence. And it went super viral, super viral. And it's, you see what's happening here? Just wait until six months passes if Trump has his way. It's like the Stasi all over again. Oh, yeah, that's what we're hearing now. And those losers at the Lincoln Project. It really is. It's, it's the loser project. They're just, it's just a whole bunch of losers. They're just good at doing one thing, losing and trying to tear down people smarter, better, and more successful than they are. That is the Lincoln Project, which if you don't know what that is, it's this uh, group that's supposedly Republicans that want to help get Biden elected. George Will. I'll never read another George Will column by choice unless I'm going to make fun of it for as long as I've. George Will now says he's going to vote for Biden. Wow. These establishment, establishment conservatives, they see what's going on in the country and they're thinking, yeah, I want more of the anarchy and recklessness and destruction of the rule of law and socialism and statism and tyranny because I'm the real conservative. These people are lunatics. George Will. I mean, it always, he is always kind of a smarmy little smarmy little school marm, you know, really was never, never really liked that guy anyway. So I don't know him. I just don't, I, I know his persona. I know the way that he presents himself, uh, the, the hall monitor of the conservative movement. So here we are now. It's so clear that the Democrats are rooting for the violent mob that's trying to tear down our federal courthouses. Remember, we were lectured for the entirety of the Trump presidency about how Trump is undermining our institutions. Trump is destroying our institutions. That was the that was the talking point. That was the line that you heard from so many people across the Democrat Party and the media. And now here we have an instance of mobilized leftist Democrats who are literally trying to destroy an institution of the federal government, a federal courthouse in Portland. And whose side are the Democrats on? The marauding barbarians. No surprise. My favorite thing I saw from uh, Andy No, who's out there covering all this on the on the left coast, the West Coast. There's this group that calls them th- call themselves the Moms, and they're all wearing these yellow T-shirts. And they're making this big deal about how you know we're moms and we're here to protect the protesters. And Andy knows them. Uh, he, he's familiar with them. He says a lot of them he recognizes from other Antifa protests where they were wearing the all black in there. And now they've done this all. Oh, no, we're moms. He says that most of them aren't moms and, or aren't mothers. And many of them don't even identify as female. Seriously. But they're wearing yellow. We are moms T-shirts. <laughs> That's how honest this movement is. Oh, yeah, they're moms. They're not mothers, and they don't even think they're female, but they're moms all right. That's what Andy's telling us. Uh, he's, he's doing great work. He really is. Uh, but what, what does Biden have to say about this? In a normal political environment, the Democrats would put forward some statement like, we do not support this destruction and violence. Uh, we, we, we call for this to end immediately. This is not who we are. But we also decry the heavy-handed tactics of Trump, blah, 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 blah. Right? That's what... In a normal world where people were still saying that's what would be said. No, no, no. Instead, the problem, just as the lib leftists during the war on terror always found any response to Al Qaeda was the cause of Al Qaeda. That was their mentality and that was their their primary talking point. Right. It's the fighting against terrorism that creates it. You go back. You remember this. That was 
across the board, the Democrats were, hey, don't be too mean to Al- don't do too much against Al Qaeda. You're causing more terrorists by killing members of Al Qaeda. That's what they would say. Well, now here in a domestic political context, enforcing the law is causing law lawlessness. That's what they're constantly saying now. They're they're just they they pretend that none of this other stuff is even happening. Here here's Biden. We have a president who's determined to sow chaos and division to make matters worse instead of better. We all remember the appalling scenes in front of the White House when peaceful protesters were gassed to make way for a Trump photo op. Now, Homeland Security agents with a without a clearly defined mandate or authority arranging far from federal property, stripped of badges and insignia and identifying markings to detain people. They are brutally attacking peaceful protesters, including a U.S. Navy veteran. Uh, It's just it's just stunning, isn't it? It's stunning. Oh, no, it goes on. Of course, the U.S. government has the right and duty to protect federal property. The Obama Biden administration protected federal property across the country without resorting to these egregious tactics and without trying to stoke the fires of division in this country. We need a president who brings us together, blah, blah, blah. What a bunch of what a bunch of just malarkey to borrow a Bidenism, a big pile of malarkey. I'm actually not. I like that word. I'm not giving that word to Biden. He's a pile of malarkey. Uh, Yeah. During the Obama administration, whole neighborhoods were burned down. Yeah, they, they did a great job. The BLM movement started during the Obama administration. So let's not pretend that they had some good handle on things, right? There wasn't some great wave of racial healing that occurred under the eight years of the Obama administration. In fact, what we saw were, was a focus from the president and his entire White House on individual cases like the George Zimmerman case, like uh, with Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown and Ferguson, making things worse by feeding into false narratives that their base wants to hear. Cops are the bad guys. Cops are killing unarmed black men all the time. uh, And this is a systemic issue. Biden is because he has to be in order to get his base to turn out for him. The the, the Democrat base is is now clearly on the side of the angry, lawless, vicious mob. Not all Democrats are a part of that mob, but they are all rooting for the angry, vicious, attacking mob on the streets of cities across the country. I, I hope those independents and swing voters that are, are we're now going to start counting this election's distance from today in weeks, not months. I think it's what, six weeks or so before the first votes start being cast. It's not far away. I hope that enough Americans are watching this, seeing the lawlessness, the disorder, the disarray, and the abject cowardice and cynical opportunism of the Democrat Party. That's who they are. That's what they are. They should be held to account because they're a disgrace, folks. They're a disgrace. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, I didn't endorse Donald Trump and, in fact, didn't vote for him for president, as you know. And I was always concerned that uh, I was concerned but was hopeful that perhaps he could get to the point where he could unite the country. I've now become convinced, absent a Damascus Road experience, Mm -hmm. I've become convinced that he's not capable of this. He is not capable of being a unifier. In fact, I've become convinced that he doesn't know how to accept personal responsibility and always find somebody else to blame. 
That's Kasich, if you're wondering, who's a loser and, and is also a, a surly fellow. I, I've, I do not like him from the uh, times I have interviewed him. Uh, I'm not. I, look, and I, I usually give people a pretty wide berth. Of, you know, I know they've had a long day sometimes. Whatever. He's just a he's a jerk. And and he's uh, he's bitter because he thinks, yeah, you know, I'm just a guy. You know, my dad was a mailman and I'm going to run the country now because, you know, I just sort of do the whole fake folksy thing. And I tell the libs what they want to hear so they don't hate me as much as they hate other Republicans. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. The, the Trump is not unifying the country. Isn't it fascinating? Democrats are both arsonist and firefighter in their own formulation here. They create all the disunity. Right. They 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 create this and then they turn around and say, look at all the disunity. Why can't Trump make us more unified? We will do a better job. We will do a better job. Um, Liz Cheney, who is getting a lot of a lot of heat right now from some of my uh, conservative brothers and sisters because she was spreading around the Russia bounty Taliban bounty story, which was just bull. As I told you, right? Didn't the Buckster tell you that was this is nonsense. They're killing as many Americans as they can uh, for their own purposes without a bounty. Anyway, uh, Cheney understands at least where Biden is during all this, trying to hide from accountability. Play 19. We would see efforts and unfortunately we would probably see success at defunding the police, the elimination of Second Amendment rights. We'd see our national defense cut. We'd see a situation in which the production of fossil fuels would be significantly curtailed, moving towards a Green New Deal. We'd see probably the end of the filibuster in the Senate. We'd see efforts to make D.C. a state. We'd see efforts to expand the size of the Supreme Court and pack it with liberal justices. There's absolutely no question what's at stake in this election and how much worse off this nation would be under a Biden-Schumer-Pelosi regime. Now, it's also important to remember that Vice President Biden, as we all know, is in his basement. Vice President Biden is in his basement partly because he's concerned about his ability to make it through an interview, but also because he doesn't want to have to talk about his socialist agenda. They're hiding, ba- they're hiding Biden in the basement, not from the virus so much as they are from the Democrat socialism. It's true. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's it going to take for Democrats to admit that their approach, that their policies aren't working, people are dying from them, and all they have to do is change course? They don't even have to admit they were wrong in some of these cities. They don't have to say, turns out that uh, coddling criminals and downplaying the role of deteriorating families in high crime communities and the lack of emphasis on respect for authority and on education. And all, they don't have to talk about all that. They, they could at least just say we're going to let police and cops do the jobs they need to do to keep more people safe. And I'm not saying that the cops can. They're not superheroes. They can't do everything, but they could certainly do more than they are in some of these cities. If the political authorities in charge, Democrats, let them. But it is worth asking, what's it going to take for them to finally relent? And in an election year like we're in right now, as you can understand it, uh, the answer is it does, nothing. There's, there's, there's no level of violence, of anarchy, of lawlessness, 
in major U.S. cities that would bring them to make any change from the approved DNC talking points. And that's why I see a story like this. And I mean, it's a it's a gut punch. This is completely insane. You know, I remember I I spent years of my life working uh, on a CIA desks in two war zones. Um, and and going to those war zones and covering uh, well, covering sound like a journalist, but, you know, dealing with the issues of counterinsurgency and terrorism in those countries. And that's that's what you think of when you hear. I mean, a, a country that is in a, a, a failed state status is what you think of when you hear about something like this. This is from ABC News, which really is as liberal as CNN now. I, I, I've I've been seeing a lot of ABC's coverage. And the way that they these big networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, uh, the way that they present information news is every bit as Democrat aligned as anything you'd see at uh, CNN and MSNBC. But I digress. Okay, here's what ABC writes. At least 15 people, it was initially they said 14. Now it's at least 15 people were shot outside a Chicago funeral home in a drive-by shootout during a ceremony for a man who was killed in an earlier drive-by shooting, according to the Chicago Police Department. The city's mayor and police officials are urging the public to come forward with that information to help end the cycle of violence. An unknown number of people inside a vehicle at a crowd attending a funeral on West 79th Street in 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 Chicago. Uh, The individuals on the street exchanged gunfire with the people in the vehicle as people were coming out of the funeral home the shots rang out like they were literally raining on them police said 15 people 10 women and five men whose ages ranged from 21 to 65 were taken to five different hospitals with gunshot wounds three women and uh, uh, and three men were listed in serious condition there were 60 shell casings found at the scene uh This is out of a war zone. Fifteen people shot in one incident. Fifteen at a funeral, for heaven's sake, at a funeral. They kill a guy and then they find out when the funeral's going to happen for that guy. And then they show up to kill all the people going to the funeral. Uh, How much more sick and evil can you be? But you know what's going to fix this? You know what's going to fix this? Some protests over the killing of George Floyd. That's going to fix this. Uh, The defunding of police. That's going to fix this. The end of the carceral state. That's going to fix this. This is insane. We all know it. Democrats wholesale believe it. They believe it because they need they desperately need some uh, some moral superiority to cling to in the current national political debate. Oh, we care so much. We, the Democrat Party, care so much about oppressed minorities. We care so much about the history, uh, the legacy of slavery and racism in this country. The other side doesn't. That's a lie. The other side, Republicans, conservatives, uh, I'd say people who don't suffer from extreme Trump derangement syndrome, see what's happening in this country and say, if we're really concerned with saving lives, We need to get a handle on what's going on in these cities where the violence keeps occurring. People die. Families are ruined. 
15 people shot. That's a lot of people. I mean, a giant gun battle at a funeral. If if this was a news story about something that had happened outside of Jalalabad with the Taliban involved, people would say, whoa, it's not not going our whole pacification of, of Afghanistan. It's not going very well. This is in Chicago, the third largest U.S. city. New York has spiking uh, violence right now. Now, look, New York is starting at a very it was handed over to the moron de Blasio at a very low level. But New York City, which is, you know, the the, uh, center of now the defund the police movement for many Democrats, shootings are up 250, 253 percent this year, the first now we're on seven months of this year. So we're, we're past the halfway point this year to last year. Direct comparison arrests. Meanwhile, are down 62 percent. Oh, hold on a second. Much more crime, far fewer arrests. Is, can anyone see a correlation here? Minor crime summonses down 86 percent. Traffic tickets down 76 percent. Criminals know they can get away with anything. That's the quote from the New York Daily News. People are it's just a free for all now. You know why? Because if a cop comes up to you and says, hey, well, you know, what are you doing? Stop. uh, Stop stealing that pair of sneakers from that store you just ran into. You know what the bad guy has to do now in order to get away? Run. And you know what happens if the cop is able to catch him? Fight. Elbow the cop, kick him. That cop can't pull his weapon. Cop probably can't even pull his less than lethal. Can't pull a taser or a baton. So it's a, it's a foot race, and then it's a wrestling match. And if for some reason the cop is able to win the wrestling match, which won't a- always be able to do, they'll be released because we have uh, no, no bail anymore in New York. They'll be released uh, you know, within an hour, back out on the street. Oh, the court's going to put out a, a summons for them to show up at the at the at the courthouse. Oh, I'm sure they're terrified about what's going to happen there. Who's going to go and arrest them for the low level offense and for not showing up to court? Nobody. Nobody. Remember that Chesterton quote? I know a, a great society like ours, it implodes because it forgets the most obvious, the most important truth. And we're seeing that happen right now. And you understand the motivation for this. The lies that the Democrats have told, the lies they've told because it allows them to have a feeling of moral superiority to the other side. And then beyond that, the incentive that they have in misery, the Democrats are incentivized to create chaos and misery and despair in this country. And as we know, it's all as soon as soon as Joe Biden comes into office, there'll be news stories about, you know, the economic recovery really is underway. You know, maybe we really need to learn to live with this virus and stop cowering in fear. You know, maybe we're all going to be OK, actually. After Biden wins. I mean, I, I could set the clock to it right now. It couldn't be any. Now, I'm not saying Biden's going to win, but that's the point here. That's the purpose. You, you think that these Democrats care about what they're doing to the country in the interim, about the people who will suffer, the businesses destroyed, the livelihoods ruined, the people who will die? They do not care. They do not care because they also reject any responsibility for it somehow. They, they reject reason and accountability because that gives them political advantage. They don't have to debate and they don't have to be held responsible for anything. They just get to run around and screaming and saying, it's all Trump's fault. 
It's all Trump's fault. Or, or, or my favorite, say that whatever the problem is, is the result of the coronavirus, and then the coronavirus is Trump's fault, right? It, it, it's the transitive property of coronavirus Trump blaming. Whatever the issue is in your city, oh, no, it's COVID. That's the problem. And Trump is the reason why COVID's so bad. So it's Trump. Oh, isn't that, a, isn't that quite a neat trick they've pulled off? Here is de Blasio saying exactly that, that the problem here is, and this is the, you know, the mayor of New York, the guy who thought he was going to be the Democrat nominee. He's a total lunatic. And here's what he says about why they're spiking. I told you the numbers. He can't hide from it anymore. New York is in bad shape right now. And here's what he's saying. Play clip seven. We have to. We have to make our streets safe. It's the number one responsibility of anyone in executive office. And you're right. In New York City, we've been the safest big city in America for years. We've had a very tough few months, no doubt. And it is directly related to the coronavirus, the dislocation it's caused in our society, the fact that our court system is not functioning yet. So many factors that have been absolutely aberrant for just the last four or five months. But we will beat it back because we've done that for a quarter century in this city. And, Joe, the key point is... We will do it. Yeah, let's just use the most boilerplate BS politician phrases. And let's pretend like this didn't all happen because de Blasio is a moron who has turned his back on the NYPD. New York is in bad shape. Chicago is in bad shape. Seattle, Portland, Atlanta. How many cities have to effectively lose lose control or we lose control of them. Law enforcement, the state no longer really able to protect people and defend them. Remember, for every shooting that happens, for every store that's burned down, every burglary that happened, a burglary that happens, uh, the neighborhood, the people around that feel less safe. That, that's an intrusion on the public psyche, right? When these bad things happen, when there's a surge in them, it affects everybody who lives in that area. Now they all have to be worried. I have to walk female relatives at night across Midtown Manhattan for safety reasons. That I haven't had to do that in a very long, and it's completely understandable, it's completely legitimate that that, that would be a move that I would make, right? That that's now an expectation that I have. You know, I, I will not allow females uh, that I'm related to, will not allow uh, my girlfriend, I will not allow them to go through certain areas at night by themselves because, oh, you might say, well, are they really, you know, is something really horrible going to happen? They're going to be harassed. They're going to have vagrants on the street come up to them, say disgusting things to them, demand money from them, threaten to grab them. That happens all the time here now. So it's top to bottom, folks. It's you, We read about the murders. We hear about the destabilization from the worst with the worst crimes, but it, it filters through all of society. This is their opening. Here, here's what you have to remember. They were promising for years to their base. The Democrat promise, the central thesis in the Trump era was that Donald Trump was a moron who would crash the economy and lead us into war and uh, we would we would all be miserable from that. Right. And we, it would be so clear. He he was it was ridiculous that he had won this election against Hello, Clinton. Ridiculous. Right. That was the central thesis. Well, they were wrong. The economy was booming. 
He did not lead us into wars. He actually had a very uh, effective foreign policy. He was right on China, didn't build the wall, which I'm pretty annoyed about, folks, but we'll talk about that another day. Don't tell me, oh, he's building it, Buck. Um, Not enough. Not enough wall. Well, we're just, you know, I I live in reality, folks. Not enough wall. And you know I'm on the president's team. Not enough wall. And way too much criminal justice reform. Um, But other than that, it was a lot of good things. But he was so much more successful in those first three years uh, than they anticipated. And it just was no longer tenable. Even the lunatic libs who were trying to, they were trying to remember, say it was the Obama economy. That was the whole story. It was the Obama economy. They were just desperate for something because the results were so positive. And you and I, people that supported Trump, were in a position where we were saying, you know, uh, look at look at the results, look at the scoreboard. And then we turn around and say, Trump got it done. And so what do they do? They make us all miserable. That's their plan. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know what we really need right now? We, we need the, the legal wisdom and, and political insight of Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, let's get some of that during this crisis. Play 13. We've sort of felt it a little bit when we've seen other sort of riots break out. and We've seen them bust out troops. But this is different. This feels different. This, this feels different. like a planned attack against the American people. And it's very yeah. specific and it's very targeted. The, the, the planned attack, I want to be very clear. The planned attack. And one of my favorite things, and Tucker, I, like, I, don't, I don't want to be like doing too much. Oh, Tucker's been amazing on his show lately because, you know, but... He has his last 90 days or so has just been in fuego. Uh, but one of my favorite things he said is that Whoopi Goldberg, not funny. I don't know why we've all this. I've never heard her say anything funny in my life, but we're all told, ah, she's so funny. Um, now she's supposed to be insightful. But the, the attack that she's talking about is federal law enforcement enforcing the law. That's not the mobs of lunatics burning things down, attacking, attacking strangers, attacking businesses and police. You know, looting Starbucks, setting fire to buildings, breaking into drugstores. That's not the attack. The attack are the law enforcement officers saying, hey, stop doing that illegal thing. These people are nuts. They're absolutely nuts. And I I just want to note, notice that they're talking now about fascism and and the Stasi that Trump is deploying. And you had uh, that member of Congress, uh, uh, I think it was Congresswoman Wilson saying that maybe these federal agents are the ones that are going to help Trump stay even if he loses. They're saying all this crazy stuff. Meanwhile, Democrat governors and mayors are like, stay home, shut down your business, can't see your friends, can't see your family until we say so. And they don't talk about tyranny there with the whole covid nonsense that they're pulling right now. Oh, we're going to move all the metrics. We're going to move all the numbers so that it's it's actually just their say so when we get our lives back. It's not based on anything else. That's what Democrats are doing. No tyranny there. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We all know the case of the McCloskeys in St. Louis. It turned into a major national news story. Uh, husband and wife, the McCloskeys, outside of their property in St. Louis, 
with lawfully owned firearms, telling the mob or just showing the mob that they were willing to defend themselves even after threats against their lives and their property. Well, now we have the uh, prosecutor in St. Louis bringing a felony charge, which clearly is sending a message to other people who might defend their property all across the country, defend themselves. But she's not the only one who gets a say in this. Uh, We're very pleased to be joined now by the Missouri Attorney General from the state of Missouri, uh, Attorney General Eric Schmidt. Mr. Schmidt, thank you so much. We appreciate you calling in. Great to be with you. So can you tell us, where does the case stand right now? Charges have been brought. Walk us through what the charges really are, what the allegation is, and what the McCloskeys face. Sure. So... Um, uh, earlier this week, uh, local prosecutor Kim Gardner, who has jurisdiction over state charges, essentially in that jurisdiction, the city of St. Louis, filed criminal charges against both the McCluskeys. And essentially the charges are an unlawful use of a weapon, which means they're brandishing a, um, you know, a deadly weapon in a threatening manner. The problem Kim Gardner has with those charges is that the case should have never been brought because of Missouri's Castle Doctrine. And just to kind of take a step back... Um, and you look at Missouri law, first of all, the, the fundamental right of self-defense is well-established. It really predates our Constitution. It's a natural right. The founders knew that, which is why the Second Amendment is in the Bill of Rights. In Missouri, in our first Constitution, 1820, that was incorporated in, and every other Constitution we've had, and as recently as 2014, Missouri voters overwhelmingly expanded those Second Amendment rights. And the creature of statute at issue here is the castle doctrine and Missouri has perhaps the most expansive castle doctrine in the country. It means that, you know, if you're being threatened as McCloskey's, you know, say they were here, you have a right to not only defend your life and anyone else's life, your family members' lives, but also not just your home, your castle, but your property. And so, um, given those facts, the statutes are very clear that it's not even an affirmative defense to the unlawful use of a weapon charge. It means it's not a crime at all. If you're if you're, uh, you know, fall under the castle doctrine, which is clear here. So, look, this is nothing more than a political prosecution. And in a time where you have, you know, calls to defund the police and rising violent crime rates across the country, including in St. Louis, which recorded you know, has well over 130 murders already this year, a 75 percent increase this July versus last July. Um, this local prosecutor has released uh, inmates charged with violent crimes using COVID as an excuse for people who were, you know, violent people charged with violent crimes to target law-abiding citizens for exercising their fundamental right of self-defense is outrageous, which is why I felt like I needed to stand up, do something. We've entered the case and asked for the court to dismiss the charge. Right. Let's 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 jump into that part of this now. We're speaking to the attorney general for the state of Missouri. Eric Schmidt uh, and about this McCloskey case where the the local attorney uh, for St. Louis has brought a charge here, a felony charge of of unlawful brandishing of weapons. Okay, you are weighing in on this as the attorney general for the state. What is your position? What are the mechanisms at your disposal and what's happening right now? Sure. So the McCloskeys have their own counsel and, you know, they'll be defending the McCloskeys. But I'm coming in as the attorney general on behalf of all Missourians, because I'm constitutionally charged with not only protecting the Constitution, but when there's an issue um, that affects all Missourians like this would, um, I have a right to come into a case. And what we're alleging here is that if you have a situation where law-abiding citizens are exercising a fundamental right, um, the right to self-defense, 
And they're being criminally prosecuted for that. If you think about that, the government wants to come in and put you in jail for four years, up to four years, um, if you're exercising that right. That could have a chilling effect on these constitutionally protected right of self-defense that all Missourians enjoy. So the specter of this case, you know, in its tendency at any point in time, sends a very clear message to law-abiding citizens that you exercise that right of self-defense at your own peril. And if this prosecutor wants to come in and put you in jail, um, that's what she's going to do. And so, you know, that's why we're coming in to assert that, that you, you can't move forward with a prosecution like this that has no basis in law. It's a political prosecution. It could have a chilling effect on others exercising their constitutional rights as well. Now, why do you think that the, uh, the prosecutor Gardner and we would call it a district attorney here. She's the state's state's attorney for St. Louis. Right. So why, why would she offer in that initial statement? Why bring a felony charge? But even saying the statement, we're open to deferred prosecution for this as well. Is this just a, is this a prosecutor's gambit to essentially just get an admission of wrongdoing, show what side she's on and then not actually bring this to trial? Why do that? I mean, that seems a little bit that that seemed to be quite a, a noteworthy uh, addition to her initial statement. It's a telling comment, isn't it? It uh, it sort of indicates that maybe she doesn't believe this is even a crime in the first place, which it's not. I mean, the statutes in Missouri are very clear that the unlawful use of a weapon charge isn't a crime if you're you know, fall under the Castle Doctrine if you're defending yourself um, as the McCloskeys were in this case. So it has no basis. It's, you know, a purely a political prosecution. She has a primary uh, in two weeks for her seat, uh, which also enters sort of the equation here. And while literally, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of homicides go uncharged in St. Louis, this case got to the top of the stack. Um, you know, is again, it's it, it just it reeks of, of politics. And look, the reality is people who run for office make statements all the time. The difference here is this is a prosecutor that's bringing criminal charges against law abiding citizens, potentially putting them in jail. She said what she said, but they comes with a four year prison sentence, potentially. Um, that's a very, very dangerous road to go down. Is it possible if this and we're speaking to Eric Schmidt, who is the attorney general for the state of Missouri, everyone. Is it possible if uh, if this goes forward and they and the, and the McCloskey's take their lawyers and they're represented by lawyers, uh, if they take this to trial and were to lose the the governor could pardon them. Correct. Under correct. Missouri law. Correct. Um, although the point has been made recently that, uh, you know, the governor is up for election um, this fall. Um, you know, and so, look, none of these things are certain, which is why we felt, um, and I'm glad the governor has, you know... And that's Gov- Governor Mike Parson, right? He is, he is a Republican, but he's up for re-election, as you said. Correct. And he's made that statement, and I think it's, it's good that he's, you know, weighed in here. But the truth is, my job is to try to nip this thing in the bud, because as this thing moves forward, as we allege in our brief, the specter or the, the idea um, that this, in a very highly publicized case, that someone exercising... Their, their fundamental right of self-defense can be prosecuted for that um, has a chilling effect on others. And uh, that's a legitimate state interest for us to be in the case. What do you think needs to be done? I want to pivot a little bit to to another component of, of law enforcement in, in your state. St. Louis uh, really got on the national radar as in, when it comes to crime and, and violent crime because of the Mike Brown a Mike Brown incident, which led to the Black Lives Matter movement. And we know there was a lot of violence and, and rioting in neighborhoods 
of, I believe it was East St. Louis. What what do you think? I mean, if, if you're continuing to work with state law enforcement authorities, what could be done to bring that murder rate down in St. Louis? And are you open to uh, working more closely with federal law enforcement agencies as President Trump has been pushing for in recent weeks? It's a great question. And I think um, the truth of the matter is um, criminals have been emboldened for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, if you want to look, take it from a prosecutor's perspective, a local prosecutor, if they don't believe that there are any consequences uh, to their actions. I mean, the city of St. Louis, there's over 360 carjackings every year. That's one, you know, one a day, a carjacking where someone's being terrorized and maybe killed in the process. And a grandfather who's lived in a neighborhood his whole life, you know, having to go through that. You've got children um, being killed, mothers and fathers lost. It's reached, you know, epidemic-like levels. And if a prosecutor doesn't show a willingness to take on violent crime and be serious about it, it's going to embolden criminals. And that's sort of what we're seeing. From my perspective as attorney general, we actually, um, in Kansas City, Operation Legend is moving forward. Uh, the governor had spoken to the president about this, and the attorney general, William Barr, is uh, authorized federal law enforcement officers to work on violent crime in the Kansas City area. Kansas City has over 100 murders this year. It's, it's on pace for uh, a record number this year. So you're seeing this across the country, and Missouri is, you know, no different. So I think at that level of cooperation is important. From my perspective as AG, very early on in my term, I reached out to the U.S. attorney in both the St. Louis area and the Kansas City area, and we've done something very unique here, Buck. We've we have unprecedented level of cooperation. We have lawyer because we don't local prosecutors don't really ask us to help in prosecuting violent crime. Um, I guess because we have a bit of a different worldview, um, we work with those U.S. attorneys. So I have lawyers from my office who've been cross deputized as assistant U.S. attorneys, so they can help prosecute violent crime in federal court where the where the penalties are often stiffer, and we've got some cooperation with those U.S. attorneys. So, you know, we've had well over a couple hundred of charges and indictments from that. Can, can I um, can I ask you about that because I, I've been trying sure. to, and we're speaking to. Uh, Sorry, Mr. Attorney General of, of Missouri, I'm, I'm uh, getting so much worthwhile information here that I'm bouncing around a little bit. But I've been telling folks uh, from when I, I worked at the NYPD Intelligence Division on loan from the CIA, which is a federal intelligence organization everybody knows. But when I was at the NYPD on loan from the CIA in what was called a uh, HIDA, high intensity drug trafficking area uh, that was set up with. DEA, FBI, Customs and Border, you name it. We had ever we had U.S. Marshals, everybody co-located and, and working together on different issues. So when I hear all this pushback on exactly what you're, you're talking about, they say, well, the federal government doesn't have a role in these kinds of crimes. Just just give people a sense of when you're when you have cross deputized people from your state uh, state attorneys general uh, office with these other federal agencies, what are the kind of crimes that come under their purview? Because I think people think, oh, federal crime, it must be, you know, major drug, cra- drug trafficking, terrorism. There's a lot more than that, isn't there? There are. I mean, I will tell you a lot of the, because you're, you're on, you know, exactly on point here. Uh, jurisdictionally, things are different. And the state, you know, is generally prosecuting homicides and things like that. But, um, you know, the feds can go after carjackings. And so we work on those kinds of cases. Um, we also have, um, I tell you, the lion's share of felon in possession of firearms. And you get people who yep. um, are causing a lot of problems in neighborhoods. Uh, you get them off the streets. And so that's been a lion's share of the prosecutions. And so, um, you know, we, we felt like it was a... Um, an important partnership to have that this is an all hands on deck moment that these sort of um, 
turf battles that maybe get fought other places. There's no room for that right now. I mean, you've got spiking violent crime rates, and you look and you see what's happening on the news every night. Just this lawlessness. Um, it's not people have a have a have a right to be safe, and uh, people are being terrorized in their communities, um, and it's wrong. So I think we all need to kind of put all those things aside and work together. So. On one hand, um, you know, we're working as closely as we possibly can. I think Missouri's partnership with you at the U.S. Attorney's Office and all those federal agencies you mentioned, the FBI, DEA, U.S. Marshals, that's a great level of cooperation. What we're not seeing is these local prosecutors sometimes like Kim Gardner. They're not interested in that. They have their own agenda. They're not interested in prosecuting violent crime. So we kind of have to work around that. Eric Schmidt, Attorney General of Missouri. Uh, Sir, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your expertise. And uh, good luck to you. Thank you, Buck. Good to be with you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. A permanent shutdown was really never an option in terms of what we're doing right now. This would be completely unsustainable, produce debilitating economic fallback and lead to catastrophic public health consequences. There are consequences to shutdowns, and uh, we've saved potentially millions of lives by doing the initial shutdown. But now we're very aware of this disease. We understand the disease to a large extent. Nobody's going to maybe ever fully understand it, but we'll end up with a cure. We'll end up with therapeutics. We'll end up with a vaccine very soon, all three. We're instead asking Americans to use masks, socially distance, and employ vigorous hygiene, wash your hands every chance you get while sheltering high-risk populations. We are imploring young Americans to avoid packed bars and other crowded indoor gatherings. Be safe. The president gave a COVID press conference, right? He's back to doing these these briefings. I don't know how long he's going to continue them. I'm very happy that he did. Because he established some really important context for all the discussions we're having about what do we do now? Where are we now? You know, I, I just checked the CDC website. Here we are. It's been almost three weeks since I last talked to you about this. And I said, I'm just I said, I, I told you that if it turned out that there was a huge spike in deaths, similar to what we saw in the March, April time frame, I would come on the show and I would tell you, OK, um, you know, I must have missed something or we got to revisit what's going on here or let. Well, we had in the last 24 hours, the CDC recorded 57,777 cases, 473 new deaths. Now, that's that's a lot of people dying from a from a disease right now. I get that. But it is nowhere near where we were. It's down 75 percent. That's what the president said in his briefing, down 75 percent. And we've had all of these states that are reopened. And you still have a death rate that's down 75 percent. Why is that? We're being told, oh, no, it's because we didn't. All this bad stuff is happening because we didn't mask up enough. We didn't wear enough masks. Oh, well, you know, it turns out the president, before I even get into the mask issue, the president's even saying now he's like, look, you know, if you can, right circumstances, wear a mask. Play clip two. We're asking everybody that when you are not able to socially distance, wear a mask, get a mask, uh, whether you like the mask or not. Uh, they have an impact. They'll have an effect. And we need everything we can get. Say whether you like it or not, it'll have an impact. I- I'm not as certain as the president is that it will have an impact. But I also I, I have I've got masks. I've got them by my front door. I've got rubber gloves. I've got a mask. You know, I'm I'm 
You know, I'm trying to play by the rules here as much as I can. And I, I really do it because in New York, everyone's so and I don't do it outside. So that's that's a non-starter. <laughs> I'm not wearing a mask outside unless I'm trying to sneak into some of the BLM protests and not have them punch me in the face. Then then a mask is great. Uh, but I, I don't wear a mask outside. I wear a mask when I go indoors to places or when I'm around other people who are going to be freaked out, which in New York, if you don't wear a mask right now in New York, people look at you like you're walking around, you know, naked, smothered in grape jelly or something. I mean, they they look at you like, what the heck are you doing? It is, you, you know, New York is like mask central. You got to wear a mask or else people, I don't do it outside. And to that, I just say, I'm within the guidance of president saying, if you can't socially distance, so I socially distance. No one is going to get, first of all, I don't have the virus. Okay. Second of all, no one's going to get the virus from walking past me outside in open air. If they could, we would have had a, a, an infection rate that was, you know, 90% of the country. Anybody who had gone outside would already have this thing in the last six months. Anybody. Okay. You can't get the virus that way. We know you're not going to get the virus that way. So now we should look at how, how do people get this virus? And I've talked to you about uh, intrafamilial and nosocomial. Fun word to use. People go, nosocomial? What is that? Um, nosocomial means intrahospital transmission. And remember that hospital infections, hospital um, acquired infections kill an average of 80 to 100,000 people a year in the United States every year. That's before the pandemic. So you want to be really careful in hospitals. You have a lot of people with compromised immune systems and obviously a concentration of a lot of diseases, which is why, again, when Trump went to Walter Reed wearing a mask, I get it. You know, you, there are places where additional precautions make sense. But Trump is not this, you know, anti-mask zealot the left pretends he is. But it doesn't matter what the truth is. We all know what the agenda is, folks. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Provide an update on our response to the China virus and what my administration is doing to get the outbreak in the Sunbelt under control. Seems largely in Sunbelt, but could be spreading. All Trump has to do is remind people that this virus originated in China and that the global spread of it is due in no small part to the uh, dishonesty, the cover-up, the recklessness of the Chinese Communist Party. All he has to do is bring that up, which is just a fact, and liberals lose their minds, right? Why is that? Well, shouldn't we all be united against... The Chinese Communist Party is uh, putting... Uh, has put a million Uyghurs in concentration camps. The Chinese Communist Party is engaged in the greatest theft of trade secrets, intellectual property, and with that wealth, right? We, we are increasing an information economy. Info is wealth. They are stealing from the rest of the world, most notably from us, constantly. They run an oppressive totalitarian regime. They do not allow free speech. They do not care about human rights. And somehow we can't even count on libs to be united with their fellow Americans, us against China. No, they don't want it to be blamed on China. They want the whole covid situation to be placed at the foot of the White House and on Donald Trump's shoulders. More specifically, it's all his fault because they think that is the single greatest way to advocate for Joe Biden to become the next president of the United States. 
That's what they really, that's what they really truly believe. And that is uh, what their thought process is on all of this stuff. And Nancy Pelosi makes this explicit. I said, said Nancy Pelosi, yes, the president says it's a Trump. Let's, let's, let's call it the Trump virus. She calls it the friggin' Trump virus. Play clip 10. Well, I think with the president's comments today, uh, he recognized uh, the mistakes that he has made by now embracing mask wearing and the recognition this is not a hoax. It is a pandemic that has gotten worse before it will get better because it is an action. And in fact, clearly it is the Trump virus. The Trump virus. That's what she calls it. I think we should call the Pelosi virus because the stupidity, the political stupidity that has gripped this nation now that does not have a realistic view of the COVID-19 pandemic that supports these idiot protesters running all over the streets, throwing rocks at cops and all this. That's a virus of the brain. We could perhaps call that brain virus, also known as Trump derangement syndrome, the Pelosi virus. Right. The Pelosi virus. I think that's a fair way to describe it. Um, and what is the if I'm going to diagnose the Pelosi virus, it is to be a lib who sees the world through this bizarre lens of everything is Trump's fault and everything going wrong would be made better if you put the quasi. Uh, well, let's just say too old for the job, Joe Biden, in the role of commander in chief, the most powerful job in the world. And. Cops aren't the good guys. Cops are the bad guys. I mean, you go down the whole list. You know, we need a Green New Deal. We need more socialism. That's the Pelosi virus. It's a brain virus. It takes over your mind. And it doesn't make anything better. In fact, it makes everything markedly worse. But as I've been saying, and as you know, the single most important takeaway that the Democrats want anyone to have during all of this is the blame, the, the mountains of blame that they are putting on top of the Trump administration with this, even though, as we know, it is the China virus and it comes from China and it is hurting the entire world. And the U.S. response to this has not been that bad. Uh, other, If you took New York and New Jersey out of the equation, the U.S. response to this virus has been incredible, actually. It's two Democrat states, one of which I am currently sitting in, that are the reason that we've had uh, a a you know a response to this virus that isn't much better than effectively all of the major meaning large European countries. You know Germany might be on a per capita basis right alongside us, but we would be far better than Italy, France, Germany, the UK, you name it. Uh, if it wasn't for New York and New Jersey, which got hit so badly in the early days of this. Um, I, I am frustrated right now because I think what's going to happen is now now Trump has relented a bit and said, look, wear masks under certain circumstances and certain times. And they're going to take that as, oh, he's it's such a big backtracking. And look what he's doing now. We're we're seeing the, the curve is already bending in these other in these states. And it's not has nothing to do with enhanced restrictions and lockdowns. The curve is bending downward because this is what happens with this virus. The susceptible population gets infected quickly. If younger, healthier people get infected, they clear the virus. As long as you can protect people 
with compromised immune systems and in the high risk age group, you will have a relatively low mortality, even with a very high degree of spread. This was always look, Sweden did this. And Sweden never locked down, as we know. You could always go to restaurants. You could always go to cafes. Sweden took this approach. And they are in the middle of the pack in Europe. And that includes countries where mask wearing became a religion and lockdown became extreme. You know, I'm seeing there's a spy. Australia has had very severe COVID-19 uh, lockdown at different points. And Australia is now having a surge in cases, right? I mean, this just... We like to believe that we can control this or people. Some people like to believe that we can control this. And, and at the end of the day, we, we just we can't. We can try to manage the flow, but we cannot defeat. We cannot stop the disease in its tracks with our actions. That is a lie. It's a lie. It's just not true. And, and then that brings me also to the fight over schools. The fact that Democrats are in favor of keeping kids out of schools is the clearest example we've had of the politicization of this issue, the removal of science from the equation and the enhancement of of politics as the primary method of making a determination since we had the Black Lives Matter protests out in the streets and we were being told by public health authorities who had been very vocal for months about how we all need to lock down and social distance. Well, but this is like really important because we like have to defeat racism. So it's like really important we do this right now, even if it means people spread the virus, because racism is totally going to be defeated by these yelling, shrieking morons gathered by the thousands all over the country. Right. That's really going to make everything better. Um, So now we have the school issue where once again, there's no science based argument here. The argument is really just a question of uh, what's going to be politically damaging for Republicans, for Trump. And what do Democrats uh, think they can get away with? I mean, here's the mayor of New York, the largest school system in the country. Public school system is, of course, in New York. Here's the mayor saying that he's got a clear schedule in mind for when we can go back to five day a week schools. Play clip eight. 75% of New York City public school parents want their kids back in school. They agree with your point that you're going to learn much better in school, that the kids need that for their development and their future. Everyone cares about safety and health. So the way I look at it is, look, right now, New York City has had extraordinary success after going through hell in March and April. The people of the city really fought back against this disease. They've been very disciplined. The face coverings, the social distancing, we've been really tough in the restrictions we've had in place and now consistently our health indicators show that we would be in a position to open up school but we're going to make that judgment when we get right up on the beginning of school in september that's when we'll make the final decision the day we get to the vaccine is the day that will really go to full five day a week normal instruction in our schools this is exactly what we were told and what we believe there was agreement on from the beginning Uh, We were told that there would not be a lockdown until vaccine approach to this virus. That's what we were led to believe. And now you have people like de Blasio straight up saying school lockdown or at least real school does not happen again until there's a vaccine. They're saying it out loud now. Now it's all, oh, no, we have to keep doing this until there's a vaccine. 
Still can't go to the gym in New York. Still can't dine indoors in New York, as well as a lot of other places. I know that Texas, Florida, Arizona, California, those of you listening in those states, you've got all you got your own problem. Georgia, you got a rough situation happening in all those states now with COVID-19 with the restrictions as well as from the surge in cases. Although we're not seeing the big surge. Why aren't we seeing the big? And I have a theory that I keep promoting to you as to why we don't see a big surge in fatalities from the virus. What does the left say? Oh, we didn't mask enough? Well, hold on. We have all these new cases. Why hasn't the mortality rate spiked? Well, I've told you it's because younger, healthier people who clear the virus are getting this, and there's also greater immunity in the population than people initially realized that as long as we're protecting seniors and people who are at risk, you're going to have low mortality, even with high spread. Now, what do Democrats say? Lock it down. Wear a mask. That'll save us all. Really won't. But they say they say this anyway, um, even though Dr. Fauci, we haven't heard from the Fauci today. Where is the Fauci? Oh, Fauci, oh, Fauci, wherefore art thou Fauci? I know wherefore means why, not where, but what doesn't matter. Uh, Here's the Fauci for those of you who missed him. Say, look, we got it. We got to get the kids back into school. You got to, you know, take those little kids. You got to say, hey, wash your hands. Keep a distance. No, no, you know, don't 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 uh, rub your nose and touch somebody else with it or whatever. That's gross. Unsanitary also could spread a virus. You don't want to do that. Use a tissue. You know, don't be don't be a little barbarian. Um, here's the Fouch. Play clip nine. Now, in general, when I think about that, I, I, I want to take a 40,000 foot look and say as a fundamental principle, I do agree that we should try as best as we possibly can to get the children back to school because of the well-documented, you know, secondary downstream uh, ripple effects that are negative, uh, particularly on parents and on the children when you keep them out of school. Got to get the kids back to school. That's right. We do have to get the kids back to school. We really do. We've got to get them back into school But Democrats want to slow roll it. Why? We all know why. We all know what's going on here. We all understand what the stakes are. And that's that's why Pelosi saying what she's been saying. She's just it's it's a Trump virus. And and Trump is like he's Trump is the reason everyone's dying. That's what she says. That's what she says. She actually blames him for death. Pelosi is blaming the president for causing death. Play 10. Well, I think with the president's comments today, uh, he recognized uh, the mistakes that he has made by now embracing mask wearing and the recognition this is not a hoax. It is a pandemic that has gotten worse before it will get better because of his inaction. And in fact, clearly, it is the Trump virus. The Trump virus. No, I think we should call it the Pelosi virus. I don't think we should let Nancy Chardonnay socialist Nancy get away with this nonsense. Enough is enough. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Look, we'll see where this ends up. Uh, We still don't know the details of this initial proposal, uh, but as it's written right now, I'm not only a no, I'm a hell no. And, and sadly, I think this is envisioned as an opening gambit. We, everyone expects the Democrats to come back with a huge wish list of spending. 
and, and this is the swamp in a feeding frenzy. Everybody's lobbyist has their hand out saying, well, look, if you're spending trillions of dollars, I want to get some. And, and it's not right. It, it, it is when we've got over 20 percent of, of the working population in this country sitting at home without a job, our focus should be on, on get you know, just six months ago, we were in an historic economic boom. We had the lowest unemployment in 50 years. And due to this p- pandemic that escaped from communist China due to their cover-up, 40 million Americans are hurting right now. We need to have our priority getting them back to work and getting them able to provide for their families. Ted Cruz is right. We, we got to stop this Uncle Sam just writes everybody checks mentality. We, we got to get everybody up and going and working again. I mean, I haven't taken a day off, and look, I'm fortunate to have a job, and I get that, and I am thankful for it. But I mean, you know, there are people who have been continuing on with their with their work every day. I mean, I haven't taken a day off since the pandemic started, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking there are a lot of people that have continued, essential workers, a lot of people that have continued doing what they do, or they're working from home, and they're even more comfortable. They like it even more. It's even better for them. But regardless... We got to, like, get back to work as a country. This has to happen. We don't uh, we don't sustain. We cannot sustain what's going on right now uh, with the trillions and trillions of dollars that we're spending. If it were possible, I, I just would, would tell you to work through this thought experiment with me. If it were possible to do this, uh, why wouldn't we just have everyone stay home and the government just keeps writing checks? The government just keeps sending you a and, and why make it only $600 of unemployment insurance? Why not a cool, why not a grand? Right? Why, why not $1,000? Why not ten grand? I mean, as much as producer Mark even loves this show, if he could stay home, well, he's already home, but if he could stay home and not do any work and make ten grand a week, I, I would have to really ask him very, very nicely to keep doing his job anyway. That would be hard. I would do you whatever know? I could to make you fire me. <laughs> there you go. I mean, look, ten grand a week's a lot of money, buddy. You know what I mean? I couldn't, I wouldn't even be able to be mad at you. Uh, so you know, at some point, see, we, at some point, we understand that there's a clear limit to what we can spend, and that there are there are downsides to this, and there are co- there are consequences to this. It's not just oh, we do this and everything is going to be fine. So I, I think that's very important for everyone to see. Ted Cruz understands this, and we've got to get back to work. And he also said in a, in a soundbite very similar to this that we all know, right, that after this is what we're all saying on the right. Everyone is paying attention. The problems get much less if Biden wins the day after he wins. I'll, then we can have a then you'll see the beginnings of some reasonableness, not entirely some reasonableness when it when it comes to the economy and spending and getting people back to work. Oh, and then a whole lot of socialism as well. But but at least they'll say, yeah, we can beat this virus. We'll, we'll be able to to defeat this thing together now now that old man biden's calling the shots which is a terrifying thought thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts our buddy rob smith is in the house now he is the author of a new book always a soldier which you should check out on amazon if you have not already he's a contributor to the first and you can follow him at Rob Smith online. Mr. Rob, good to have you. Uh, always good to be here, Buck. Thank you so much. So, so let's, let's 
jump into this, shall we? BLM is a movement that's been around for a few years. We've been talking today on the show uh, extensively about what's going on in Chicago, Portland, Seattle, violence on the streets. And here in New York City, crime is is rising. And I've been saying, what exactly has BLM accomplished up to this point? And I would say all the things you could point to really would be negative. What is the movement? I mean, and therefore not really accomplishments. Right. But what is the movement as it stands today? What has BLM become, Rob? Well, I think that you have to understand that Black Lives Matter, BLM at this point, is an is a corporation. It's a business. This is an organization, right? Um, so this is something that has generated untold amounts of money. It's almost like this grift where they got, I think Bank of America gave them a billion dollars. They're getting hundreds of millions of dollars from all of these corporations because they have managed to uh, to kind of define and, and brand blackness, right? So what it is accomplishing is basically uh, a a whole lot of chaos on the streets. They're definitely accomplishing getting a lot of angry potential Democratic voters riled up. And it has accomplished making their founders and the vast majority of the infrastructure people that are fundraising them for them very, 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 very wealthy. Now, what they've accomplished for the average uh, black American on the street, I have no clue. Um, you know, where I'm at right now in Florida, we, we have protesters and they come out, they come out every single night are not entirely sure what they're protesting for or about. Um, they're very angry. They're very sad and, and a little emotionally disturbed. And I have to tell you, so one of the protesters came in, into the neighborhood that, uh, that I was in, they were, they were a big group and they were very confrontational with, with people, black, white, Latino, whatever, that were just enjoying their evening. And they were so controversial and, and so confrontational and so sort of emotional about it. I saw this this young black girl just screaming and crying. And on one hand, I have a lot of empathy for that. But on the other hand, I have a lot of anger because it's so cynical among the puppet masters of the left. And this is what they do. They exploit black pain, um, suffering feelings of hopelessness for votes. It's, it's actually very despicable, Buck. Uh, and I don't think that it's a bad thing to really speak out against that. And they're certainly not helping the black family because we can go on the Black Black Lives Matter website. They're, one of their major goals is to dismantle the structure of the nuclear family. And we all know that African-Americans, like all Americans, are, are vastly more likely to become wealthy, successful winners in life when they come from a two-parent household. So what dismantling the two-parent family structure is doing for Black Americans, I have no idea. But like I said, it's getting a lot of people wealthy. It's making a lot of people rich. And as always, when it comes to how the left uses African Americans, it's the ones on the street that are suffering. And by the way, BLM is not doing anything about violence in Chicago. They're certainly not doing anything about that. They're certainly not doing anything about violence in the communities um, that are plagued by this stuff as they seek to defund the police. So, look, as it stands right now, as a movement, organization, corporation, whatever you want to call it, I think it's something that is destructive. And I don't allow them to define my blackness, so I'm not going to be afraid to say that. We're speaking to Rob Smith, author uh, and veteran, author of Always a Soldier and Contributor to the First. So, Rob, 
as a as a member of the black community, you uh, I'm, I'm going to assume have conversations with with other people uh, in this country who are black. And there's probably a, a willingness or, or, or an exchange of ideas that you can engage in where, you know, because you can speak from that perspective, whereas I can't. And, and I, I just wonder, do you really when you're speaking to individuals who are black uh, and, and who do believe in this movement or who do think that this is all for the good? Do they believe things like when LeBron James tweeted out that you know, black people are literally being hunted every time they leave their homes? Do they believe that or do they understand or understand these things, the movement slogans as exaggerations meant to get people mobilized, but they don't really take it literally? I mean, when you're talking about a, a young, a, a young black woman crying, for example, while confronting people and screaming about BLM stuff, it makes me wonder what what do what do members of the black community that adhere to this movement's uh, ideology? What do they really believe? You know, how much so of this do they conversation? So I was having a conversation. I was in uh, Minneapolis uh, about a month ago for a GoFundMe. We raised so much money to help rebuild Minneapolis, and I'll be I'll be going there next month to deliver those checks um, to to those small business owners. But I was at the George Floyd Memorial, and I spoke with a young black man just off the cuff. He didn't know who I was, and I was conservative, didn't really care. We were just talking as basically two men. And what struck me was when we started talking about that stuff, and I, I don't get very confrontational in these conversations. It's, it's, to me, it's more of an exchange of ideas, right? So he really believed this stuff. And he really believed that as a black man, you know, the police are out to get me. And, and, and not only that, but this stuff starts affecting how people see the world in general, right? Because we moved from the BLM stuff and we just started talking about entrepreneurship because I believe in, in both you and I have had these conversations and I thank you for leading me in the right direction in some of these conversations. But entrepreneurship is the way for all of us, uh, black, white, Latino, it doesn't matter, um, I, I think, to build wealth and become successful. And when I tried to talk to this, this young black man about this, it's like every single thing that I said, when I said you can, he would tell me why he couldn't, right? And so it, it was just this back and forth and back and forth. And, and by the end of, I think it was a 40 minute conversation at the George Floyd Memorial, it was hot out there that day. Um, I, I think that we were both exhausted and it took that long just to break down these mental barriers up here that told him that no matter what he does, because he's black in America, he's gonna be a perpetual victim, he's gonna be hunted, he'll never be successful. Now, I'm not gonna sit here and say that it is not harder for some people than others, because that's not true. Uh, I, I haven't had the easiest road myself, but I think it's a mentality mindset. And, and one of the most destructive things about BLM and a lot of different movements like that is that they seek to um, encourage a mindset of hopelessness in people. And the only, the only sort of way out of that hopelessness is to keep us in power. We will take care of you. We will take all of this on for you, but just march with, with our slogan, just donate to our causes. It's, it, that's a destructive thing because you're taking away agency from people. Rob, is there, from a political strategy point of view, let, let's look at it that way. Do you think that there's uh, a a way that President Trump people forget that over a million black Americans voted for Donald Trump in the last election? Right. And, and I think that that comes up again yeah. when you see uh, Jamil Hill 
say in a tweet, a well-known ESPN and now, I guess, political commentator, sports commentator, now political, uh, that if you vote for Trump, you're racist. There's no there's no wiggle room. Right. That, that, I think that was the the, the tweet. Um, we've heard this before from other people, but it's coming back again. So it's not I disagree on policy. It's if you vote for Trump, you're racist. That's what's being said. Now, that would be news to the million plus black Americans who voted for him, as well as uh, the percentage of the uh, Latino population that voted for Donald Trump and so on and so forth. Is there oh, you know, we've always had as conservatives this idea that if only the messaging could get directly to the black community about how uh, all Americans uh, want to see as much success, as much personal agency, autonomy and prosperity and happiness, quite honestly, as possible within the black community, um, that there would be ways that Trump and conservatives, Trump now and conservatives could gain more support politically in the black community. Is that worth the president doing right now? Or, or is it honestly just the usage of political resources that's not going to change anything? You know, the members of the black community who like Trump will continue to, but it's very hard to make gains beyond that. I think it's that hard to make gains. And, and I think that it's obviously always worth having the conversation um, when it comes to, to engaging black voters. But at a certain point, you have to realize and, and this is kind of why so many black people are kind of like lost in this leftism and all of this stuff is that it, it becomes a family structure issue. So if you're growing up in a broken home, if both of your parents are not there, if you don't have these strong family structures, look, we don't get um, we, we, we get our, our rights and privileges from from the Constitution and from God. But this messaging um, of self-reliance and all that stuff that has to come from within the home. And the evil geniuses on the left, they they know that and they deeply realize that, which is why the most popular political figures on the left generally come from two parent households where they've gotten all this stuff. But the idea is, is that they get political power by lying to black people, basically, and, and by telling them that these things are not important. So fundamentally, I don't think it's I don't think it's ever a waste of time politically to engage different audiences. I think that. Trump has done it um, pretty beautifully when it comes from a pure policy point of view. And I think that that is why a lot of people on the left are absolutely terrified about their prospects among black voters this this election, which is why we have all the BLM stuff and and the race riots and and all of that stuff that we're going through right now. Um, But I think that ultimately the messaging that people get it has to come from within the home. It has to come from within their own communities. And and I think that the most powerful thing about this new you know crop of black influencers that we have all across the Internet is that people are going to be able to get that stuff from their homes, but they're also going to be able to see a different perspective. One of the most um, omnipresent criticisms of me is that people think that I'm somehow some trust fund kid, that I came from a wealthy family, that none of those things are true. I'm from Akron, Ohio. I talk about this in the book. I'm from Akron, Ohio. I'm from a single parent household. Um, I went to a, a, a high school in Akron, Ohio that was rated F, you know, by, by the Ohio public school systems. So I had to get the messages of self-discipline, determinism, uh, determination, self-reliance, all that stuff. I got that from the military. It didn't come from my family. Um, so the thing is, is that you have to get these messages from people in the home. They're not necessarily going to come from politicians. And and to tell you the truth, they're more likely to come from people like you and I than the president of the United States. 
Rob Smith, everybody. The book is Always a Soldier, which you should check out on Amazon if you have not already. Go get a copy today. Download it to your Kindle. Also, Rob Smith online on Twitter, and he's a contributor to the first. Rob, always a pleasure, my friend. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks so much, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Team, whenever possible, I like to bring you some some good news. And the good news that I bring you today, I don't know, it's like I'm running or speaking in circles here. There is good news for me to bring. And the bringing of the good news that I have for you is all of a sudden I am French Buck. I am uh, very happy for all of you. No, it has to do with the vaccine. Trump has been saying that this is we've got Operation Warp Speed, which whenever I hear this, I always think of that scene in Spaceballs where they go from warp speed to I think it's ludicrous speed. Producer Mark probably hasn't even seen Spaceballs, have you? I've heard of it. I've seen Space Jam. Spaceballs is better. Uh, Among Rick Moranis' finest, uh, finest appearances on film. Not as good as Ghostbusters, but still pretty good. But, uh, you know, they, they, they are at Operation Warp Speed. They talk about this. And then you also you have some of the more recent news stories about the breakthroughs or, or at least the effective early stages of the treatment. Here's the president on the vaccine. Uh, 17. So ultimately, our goal is not merely to manage the pandemic, but to end it. We want to get rid of it as soon as we can. That is why getting a vaccine remains a top priority. Two vaccine candidates are entering the final stage of clinical trials this month. This was achieved in record time. It used to be years before you were in a position like we are right now. Four other vaccines will enter final trials in the following weeks, and we're mass producing all of the top candidates so that the first approved vaccine will be available immediately. And logistically, we have the military ready to go. We have Great people, logistic, military people, a wonderful general who's waiting for the vaccine so they can distribute it in record time. That's what's going to happen. So our military is all set to go. We will deliver a vaccine, therapeutics, whatever it is, is necessary and defeat the virus once and for all. I think it's important to hear this. We, we will we will return to normal. I, this has been dragged out longer than I think almost anybody anticipated in the early days. We will return to normal. It's going to happen. I can't tell you when. It might, in my mind, I'm, I'm ready for things not to really feel normal, normal until next summer. That's just, my, that's just my gut feeling. And that doesn't mean that things aren't getting better and getting better. But I, you know, I, I think by next summer, people are going to be flying on planes and not really worry. You know, it's just going to be maybe some people still there'll be some voluntary mask wearing will still be a part of the culture. But it's going to there's going to be a return to normal. That's what I see. I, I could be wrong. But I'm very happy when I hear about the movement on these vaccines. Here's a HHS secretary, Azar, talking about they've just signed a big contract to get you a whole bunch of doses by the end of the year. Play 15. Under the president's leadership, we just signed a contract with uh, global pharmaceutical leader Pfizer uh, to produce 100 million doses of vaccine starting in December of this year with an option to buy another half a billion doses. Now, those would, of course, have to be safe and effective, according to the FDA's gold standard. But this now adds to what President Trump has delivered, which is for other vaccine candidates. We now have five vaccine candidates that prioritize the 
U.S. people where we're going to manufacture a vaccine and work to secure FDA approval of them <laughs> all at the same time. I got to tell you, I'm I'm really going to enjoy shaking hands. I was never that big into shaking hands before. I mean, I would shake hands, but I, I wasn't. I kind of miss it. I miss our old life, America. I do. I miss it a lot. I miss the sense that we all have that we can um, be around people, you know, and I, and I go through phases. I'm not somebody who's particularly into being in big crowds, but man, I, the, the things that I want to get back to are crowded, crowded live music shows. And uh, I, I will not complain about being elbow to elbow with people in a stacked New York bar that is probably a violation of the fire code because so many people are in it. I, I won't complain about that for a long time, I can assure you. And how long I have to wait for a drink and all the rest of it, I, I'm not going to bring any of that up. So I'm continuing and hoping uh, to follow. I'm, I'm following this, continue following this, and hoping that we're going to get to a place where we have that vaccine real soon. Producer Mark, when things are totally normal, what's top of the list for you, buddy? Sports game? Uh, not even a sports game, because I can watch those on TV. I would say a concert. You can't concert. recreate a concert at home. Yeah, you can't. You cannot You cannot do that. Well, um, you can, but really poorly. Well, yeah. Producer Mark hears me sing sometimes before I come on air. We don't have to worry about that. Maybe one day, one day we'll all give you a taste of that. But we, I like to get him fired up by singing, um, call it a, like, a, like a fight song of sorts for Producer Mark before the show, so... And, and producer Nick sometimes, too. We get them in the mix. Anyway, a vaccine is coming. I don't know when. I don't know how good it's going to be, but it's coming. And hope is a, hope is a good thing. If you've uh, perhaps the best of things. Isn't that what he says during Shawshank? I think. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. A quick pickup here. I, I, I mentioned this at the very top of the show. Rutgers, which is the State University of New Jersey. Producer Mark, how far are you from Rutgers? Not very. Maybe 20 minutes, half hour. Yeah, okay. So, you know, Rutgers, if you're, in, if you're an NJ, everybody knows Rutgers really well. I thought this was interesting. And hat tip to collegefix.com for this. Rutgers English Department to de-emphasize traditional grammar in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. Here's the piece. The English Department at Rutgers University recently announced a list of anti-racist directives and initiatives for the upcoming fall and spring semesters, including an effort to de-emphasize traditional grammar rules. The initiatives were spelled out by Rebecca Walkowitz, the English Department chair. Walkowitz sent out the email on Juneteenth. Uh, one of the initiatives is described as, quote, incorporating critical grammar into our pedagogy. A pedagogy, sorry. Um, it is listed as one of the efforts for Rutgers graduate writing program, which serves graduate students across the Rutgers community. Under so-called critical grammar, the approach challenges familiar dogma that writing instruction should limit emphasis on grammar and sentence level issues so as not to put students from non-standard English backgrounds at a disadvantage. Don't expect proper grammar, according to the Rutgers English Department. And this is part of their solidarity, they say, with the BLM movement. Look, I, this just strikes me as kind of offensive. I, you know, I don't know what else to say. And I'm not somebody who runs around calling things offensive. But solidarity with the BLM movement, according to Rutgers, is 
not expecting proper proper English to be used in the English literature department? Um, okay. Just gonna say, these colleges keep getting crazier with this stuff. So, there you have it, folks. Not quite as bad as the Smithsonian poster that said, you know, uh, characteristics of whiteness and had things like objective reasoning. That was... The Smithsonian took that down. That was super offensive. Put up there by a white diversity consultant, by the way. That was the person who was behind that. Diversity consultants shaking us all down for all this cash. Uh, All right. I covered that story. Let's do roll call. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Dubstep didn't really get the full, uh, I don't know. Dubstep never really got as much love as it, as it deserved. I know this. I feel like this audience is very split over dubstep. Producer Mark, do you ever listen? I mean, not really. I'll listen to techno remixes of songs, but not dubstep. Yeah. I know there's a difference. I guess so. All right. Well, that was our dubstep intro. Let's get to the uh, inbox. Oh, remember, please go to BuckSexton.com. Check in on our site. We got stories posted throughout the day. And producer Mark, we did have a conversation uh, with our our digital team. They would like us to start uh, selling some T-shirts. Oh, so I think. Yeah, I'm think learning things on the happen. air. Yeah, there you go. We're going to get one with my face on it. If you want, man, we, right. we could have we could have the penalty box producer Mark T-shirt. You know, we could sell that, you know, something come up with some kind of like a grumpy mascot. You know what I mean? We could do it. Oh, the grumpy cat. Oh, grumpy cat in a penalty producer, box, but a producer Mark. But I bet the grumpy cat is trademarked. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, I think they made a hundred million dollars off the whole grumpy cat franchise just for having a cat that looks, you grumpy. know, that, that, that cat has a form of dwarfism. And that's why it looks like that. Oh, you know that cat died, right? I, I did not know that. Yes, now I'm sad. Recently. Oh, that's a shame. Okay. Well, anyway. I got a, I got a lot of texts that day saying RIP. Mm. Like mm. to me, they thought I was dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I got it. I get, I get what you're putting down. Facebook.com slash Buck Saxon or Team Buck at iHeartMedia, our employer, uh, dot com. So please send in the emails there if you want emails, your Facebook. Oh, and Instagram. If you are listening to this show and you have an Instagram account and you are not following Buck Sexton on Instagram, you are missing out and you're making me sad. I want Instagram action. So uh, Buck Sexton on Instagram. I'm going to be communicating a lot more, doing Instagram lives. It's happening. If you're following me, you see we're doing a lot more stuff on Instagram these days. So please do follow me there as well. All right. I think I think I covered all the plugs and pass the buck. Tell people about this podcast. Darn it. Look, there's a lot of podcasts that I'm seeing ahead of us in the Apple store that I'm like, uh, I know that person. Their show stinks. <laughs> so I'm just going to say it. They're not good at this. So they figured out a way to leverage uh, social media and the search algorithms on these different podcast platforms to get people downloading their show. Look, there's some of the shows are great. Of course, there's some fantastic talents on the right who have, who have really big podcasts. Um, but there are some people I'm like, well, that show is garbage. So let's, let's at least beat all the garbage shows. Uh, shall we? That would be nice. All right. That means pass the buck. Tell them about, uh, and look, Spotify is so easy. And producer Mark yells at me because we don't work for Spotify, but our podcast is on it and you are allowed to listen to it there. 
And it's so straightforward. And you can listen anytime you want every day. So with that, um, I appreciate, Mark, you trying to keep us uh, having jobs, though. That is nice of you. Yes, I, I'm the one who loves the iHeart app. Yeah, because I, I like my app. job. Producer Mark appreciates paychecks and health care. And so, yes, we need to always be mindful of the fact that the greatest app for listening to the show is, in fact, the iHeart iHeart Radio app. Yes. Um, all right. Taylor Buck. Yes. Finally. Good to hear you on 105.9 KNRS out here in Utah. Utah is ripe for the Freedom Hut. That deserves a proper celebration. Bring out the guns, cannons, smoke, barbecue, and some stuff to blow up. You are the man. P.S. Go away, Mitt Romney. Taylor, I'm so glad you got to hear me out on KNRS in uh, Utah and Salt Lake City. And I think you'll be hearing more of the Freedom Hut out there. It's got, I got a feeling. So please keep listening. And uh, if you don't, you know, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. But you will be hearing more from that. It's a great heritage radio station out in Salt Lake City, KNRS. And anytime we're on there, we're very, very pleased. Matthew. Hey, Buck, have you heard about the upcoming series on Showtime based on James Comey's book, A Higher Loyalty? It's about, yep, you guessed it, Russia, Russia, Russia. No doubt it'll be presented from a far left perspective. What I thought you'd find interesting is that Donald Trump will be in it, played by Brendan Gleeson. That's uh, Hamish from Braveheart. Keep up. Keep it up, Buck. Shields high. Huh? Eh. Is your father a ghost? Or do you converse with the Almighty? I, Producer Mark, you've seen Braveheart, right? Sure. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually a little sad right now. You, you've never seen Braveheart? I don't even know how this is possible. I'm sure I've seen parts of it. What was it? Oh, it came out in 95? I, I was I two. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you, were like, you were like a year old. Yeah. Uh, can, can, you, can you go on? I think it's, it's a on It's a three-hour movie? Oh, no. It's the not. best movie of no, all time. Absolutely not. The best movie ever made. I barely have an attention span to listen to you for three hours. I'm going to watch a movie. And you get paid for that. Exactly. So that, that's, a fair, that's a fair point. Um, yeah, I, I had not heard, back to Matthew here, I had not heard about this series on Showtime, um, but I'm sure it's going to be horrible. I mean, James Comey is not an appealing fellow in any regard, uh, so I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, he's just kind of a, a, a lanky, sel- a sanctimonious weirdo. So how they're going to do it. But remember, this is very important because this is how the left uh, gets a lot of support for themselves from people who understand they'll be taken care of. Uh, What I mean here is if you are a soldier for the left or if you do something that makes the the left uh, apparatus happy, the Democrat Party happy, they will uh, memorialize you, lionize you canonize you on that issue i think of steve schmidt of the lincoln project it's like i ran mccain's campaign and lost by a ton and led to eight years of obama and dragging the country into socialism but steve schmidt had uh, woody harrelson play him in the movie uh, game change on hbo right so if you're going to be a republican you want to be the kind of republican who gets a famous actor to play you in a sympathetic way in one of these movies. Uh, that, that's always in the, in the back of the minds of many of these political players, many of the establishment Republicans out there. So, yeah. 
Um, I, I'm sure the series will be horrible. And the Russia thing is ridiculous. And they're going to but they're going to make it seem like it's not ridiculous. That's the whole point. Just like the movie Recount with Kevin Spacey, another HBO movie. Oh, I'm noticing a pattern made it seem like Bush stole the election from Gore when the whole purpose of what they were doing was to only recount. Democrats only wanted recounts in some areas that were Democrat strongholds. No recounts in Republican stronghold areas to change the votes so, so that Gore could win. They were trying to steal the election. But the whole movie leads you to believe, oh, no, Republicans don't want all the votes counted. No, Democrats only wanted. And there was never a count that had of any kind ever done that had Al Gore ahead in Florida. Never didn't exist. But they kept saying, well, let's do a recount in this really blue county, but not any other counties around it. It was very transparent what they were doing. Oh, and Kevin Spacey played the political consultant whose name escapes me right now. But uh, I wouldn't want... I was going to say this right now. When they make the Buck Sexton movie, I don't want Kevin Spacey playing me. I don't want Kevin Who Spacey playing Who do you want playing, playing you? What? Who do you want to play Buck Sexton? Wow, that's a good... That's a very good question. Um, you know, I think uh, if you know, we want something that's really captures my essence and is just true to life and would be a visual cue to the audience. I think we got to go with the guy who plays Thor. You know, I think that would be good. Really? <laughs> that guy. I don't even know his name. I want that guy to play me in the movie. That's uh, you know, incredible. A, a, radio, a radio host who just magically has, you know, 28-inch uh, Python biceps, you know? Yeah, that you, guy. you want Chris Hemsworth to play yeah you know what i would take either the hemsworth brothers oh either oh oh that's it yeah Yeah. either one of them could play me in the movie i would accept that you know we got we have similar similar uh eye and hair color and then you look at your physique and you're like oh no he's got a game (laughs) you need fat thor oh my god did you just call me fat thor on my own radio show Wow. You you wow. just said that was right down the middle. Come on. Ah. Uh, okay, you, everybody. You Producer, Mark, Producer Mark put one in the upper deck today. You know, let him. He's running the bases. Oh, man. It's <laughs> time for baseball season. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, all right. I, I, need, I need to regroup here for a second. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, and we're back. And I would just note that uh, producer Nick says uh, Adam Scott from Parks and Rec uh, is is that is that his uh, wait is that his what's his yeah yeah that's his name right I googled him that that actually makes a lot of sense yeah yeah, no that that guy does look like I mean everyone always says this and this is the this is the thing but but you know he he's um uh, he is little he has tiny shoulders he's a little man I'm not uh, how do you say it. not little like him. Um, I but, think we yeah. went over that in the last segment. Yeah, I think I already <laughs> stepped on that landmine. Uh, so, okay. It's kind of French, and then my accent kind of turned Hungarian there for a second. Yeah. I don't know why that happened. All right. We have more takes here from Dave. Hey, Buck, let producer Mark run with his sports takes. They're fantastic. I'm a huge sports fan. He's spot on. Take care. Okay, producer Mark, since you're, uh, you're feeling, your, feeling your oats today. Uh, what, what are, give us, what's the latest in the sports world we need to know about? I don't think there really is a latest right now. Sports start on Thursday night. That's about it. Well, what are they starting with? Uh, baseball starts, I believe it's the world champion, Washington Nationals, taking on the New York Yankees. 
Mm. Who do you uh, root for in that? Anything but anything but the Yankees, right? Uh, in that that game, I mean, I hate both teams so much. You're hoping they can both lose. Yeah, which is not mm. possible. Yeah, actually, mm. a fun fact about that game, you're going to love this. Guess who's throwing out the first pitch? Dr. Fauci. Yes. Yeah, I saw that. The Fauci. Indeed. Dude, they're going to make Fa- Fauci, they're going to have a whole series about him where Fauci is played by like a, a super handsome 40-year-old Hollywood uh, leading man who is defeating the virus, undoing Trump's tyranny, and mysteriously knows kung fu for no apparent reason for the fight scenes. Like, that's what's going to happen with the Fauci. I would watch, watch that just for the kung fu part. That sounds very interesting. Yeah. Like, hi take that with the mitigation. You know what I mean? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Dennis, Buck and Grumpy producer Mark. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Dennis knows. Trust me, I don't watch CNN on a regular basis, but happened to be changing channels and stopped because they were discussing wearing masks. The guest was citing a study done with hamsters. Yes, those rodents that look like mice wearing masks. Seriously, a study was done with hamsters wearing masks, and those results showed that humans should wear masks. I'll continue to take your stand on masks and not listen to what the hamsters say. Love the show. Absolutely the best conservative podcast out there. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you for having good taste in your conservative podcast listening. Um, so I appreciate that. I, I don't even know how some people, some of the people that have, that are conservatives that have podcasts that do well. Uh, I don't even, I don't understand how anyone could listen for more than five minutes, but it is what it is. Um, some of the others are great. There's some greats. I'm not, I'm not somebody who's a, I'm not a hater. I, I, I love my uh, conservative brothers and sisters who are doing a good job. But as for, um, the uh, mask situation and hamsters, this just reminds me, I used to think that having a hamster would be kind of fun as a pet. And, and then I realized that if it gets loose, it just feels like a hamster running around is now a rodent in your house. True or false, Bruce or Mark? Absolutely. Like I would be petrified if my hamster got out. And I just didn't know where it was. <laughs> so I was just thinking, you know, you know things, get too crazy at the you. Frat, things get too crazy at the frat party and maybe your hamster gets out. <laughs> Imagine in the middle of the night your hamster crawls on your face and uh, you didn't know where it was before. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we're kind of going in other directions here. I was but, talking uh, about an actual hamster. T- <laughs> what? I don't even want to know what you, where you were going. Nope. <laughs> You know, I try to, you know, after after about a half a dozen drinks, I got to watch out. I don't want my hamster to get loose. You know, I don't even to catch that on video. Uh, okay. Is that the thing on top of your head? Uh, exactly. No, that's that's more like a chinchilla, though, because of the, the thickness of the fur, you know? Sure. Chin- people have chinchillas as pets, and from what I understand, they can be quite delightful pets. People have some odd pets. I've never understood snakes as pets. Yeah. And whenever, I, I look... Very few, very few pet choices I judge. I love dog people, cat people, uh, you know, fish, birds, a lot of things you could have. Pet goat, even, I'm down for. Any mammals, okay. Um, pet snake, I don't understand. But we'll talk about that another day. That's the show. Shields high.